That's the sound of counter-protesters having what Auckland Pride director Max Tweedy described as an impromptu trans-joy dance party after successfully forcing the British anti-trans rights activist Kelly J. Keane Minchell to abandon her rally at the Albert Park Band Rotunda in Auckland. At that point, the protesters' optimism didn't seem all that misplaced or out of step with some of the media coverage of the event. Much of the early reporting on the counter-protest painted it as either relatively peaceful or at least not particularly aggressive compared to demonstrations like the Parliament occupation. The New Zealand Herald noted what it called some ugly confrontations, including pushing and shoving between Keane Minchell's supporters and counter-protesters, along with the fact that Keane Minchell's attempts to speak had been drowned out by drums, chants of go home, and at one point, a Whitney Houston song playing over the loudspeakers, but its reporting played things straight. Others described an almost entirely positive experience of the protest on social media, with one calling it a cacophony of aroha. At the spin-off, Anna Rafiti Connell painted it as an event where, in her words, joy trumped fear and a symphony of fearlessness drowned Keen Mitchell out. By the end of the weekend, a much different media narrative had taken hold. On Sunday afternoon, News Talk ZB host Tim Beveridge asked his callers whether Keen Minchell's expulsion made for a good or bad day in New Zealand. Oh, hi. Yeah, I thought it was pretty appalling display of behaviour yesterday. Yeah. Kicking a kick down with kicked our women of New Zealand to the curb. Mm. Uh, I'm appalled at the uh, media. Mm. It was their um, absolute disregard for the truth in this whole matter. Those callers might have been reading or watching a barrage of media, some of it originating overseas and some local, which painted the protest as violent and out of control. On Saturday night, the world's most successful author, J.K. Rowling, told her 14 million followers on Twitter the scenes at the Auckland protest were repellent. She posted dozens more tweets about it over the following days. At interest.co.nz, commentator Chris Trotter described counter-protesters as screaming abuse, hurling projectiles and lashing out at Keen Minchell, who he called a terrified ragdoll with eyes dulled by the effects of shock as she was heaved past a crush of fury and hate. The claims of rampant and unchecked violence were boosted by the far-right media outlet Counterspin and conspiracy-adjacent public figures like the leaders of Voices for Freedom, who were at the protest to support Ken Mitchell. On the platform, Sean Plunkett introduced his Monday morning segment on the event like this. You can ring and say what you think, and no one will punch you in the face or push you to the ground or screech at you while the police stand by and do nothing. We are free and open. Plunkett went on to say he wanted to hear from one particular type of caller more than others. Female callers, that's adult white female women, women callers will get priority this morning because they got no priority or protection from our society in Albert Park. It's unclear whether that was a slip of the tongue a bit of irony referencing Marama Davidson's well-publicised comments about violence from white men, or if men and women with other skin tones were really shunted down the caller queue. At Today FM, Rachel Smalley lamented the counter-protest for silencing women. 
Of course, the counter-protest did include plenty of women. It's unclear whether they count in Smalley's eyes. Meanwhile, in Britain, Keen Minchel supporters called for boycotts of New Zealand products and gathered outside the New Zealand High Commission in London to sing protest songs. Some of the incidents of violence these commentators cited were genuine. Keen Minchel indisputably had tomato juice poured on her by a trans rights advocate. The juice pourer is reportedly now wanted by police for assault. At the more serious end of the scale, one video shows an elderly woman being punched in the face after an altercation with what appears to be a counter-protester. Other evidence cited for the protest violence was more questionable. A video of a man being shoved by a drag queen went viral among trans rights opponents, but it was shorn of context. The full video shows the man grabbing a warden trying to keep protesters in line by the neck. The shove came after that as the drag queen tried to push him away from the scene of the attack. Another photo shows a close-up of Keen Minchell's face with some hands around her neck and an object being held by a protester close to her throat. Rowling and others implied she was in danger. In fact, the hands belonged to one of her security guards and the object close to her neck was a phone. I asked Isaac Davison and Katie Harris, who covered the event for the New Zealand Herald, whether the narrative developing around the rally in some media outlets and on social media matched up with their on-the-ground assessment. Kia ora, Isaac and Katie, and welcome to Media Watch. Thank you for having us. Cheers. First of all, how would you describe your experience of the protest last Saturday? We were sort of in different parts of the protest. Like Isaac was right at the boiling centre of it when Posey Parkers took the stage, but I was sort of more around the back and in the centre with the counter-protest for much of it. And if I had to describe it with one word, I would say passionate because there were obviously very strong emotions on either side. But from where I was, it was a lot more relaxed and quite, I would say, uplifting. Like, there was music and stuff, but that changed once Posey Parker arrived. It's weird looking at the videos now because I can see where Isaac was and see friction, but where I was and the people that I was vox-popping, I would say it was a very mild protest compared to some other protests that I've covered in the past. And so you were in the thick of it where all of the action and all of the controversy took place. Uh, What was that like, Isaac? Uh, it was tense. There was this unusual situation where Posey Parker's supporters were within a fence around the rotunda initially, so they were kind of separated, and the counter-protesters were behind a fence behind them. Just when Posey Parker came in, she was escorted in by security, people pushed through that the counter-protesters came to trickled through that fence, and then I think some fences got pushed over. So they all came in together and were surrounding the rotunda, and because of the you know, because it's a circle, they literally surrounded it. It's not like a stage where they're all on just one side. So at that point, I went right up to the front to see what was happening, and Posey Parker got on stage and was immediately um, hit by a protester with this, you know, tomato juice, which there's videos of now. It was at that point that you saw this look on her face that this probably wasn't going to go maybe as she imagined it. And so when I was looking back on the crowd then, there was certainly some tension and just a little bit of pushing and shoving. And I saw one of the supporters of Posey Parker had a metal bar in their hand, and that was part of the fencing that had been pushed over. And I just thought, this it could get a bit ugly 
it was quite soon after that that Posey Parker realised, you know, by now it was like a cauldron of noise, of sirens and whistling and, you know, go home, uh, Posey, go home chanting. And so she was sort of removed by her security. There were sort of some scuffles around that and it was quite a crush, really mainly because there was just such a big crowd at that point and then police came in and, and that is where a lot of the videos that you've seen online where it's just this short period where she was taken out and then escorted away by um, police. But I remember thinking at the time how that tension in the air, it it never really became violent in my eyes, yeah. There were incidents of violence that have been isolated uh, in the videos. You've been covering a lot of protests in 15 years in journalism. Your assessment, how does this one rank in terms of its menace or its violence? I'd seen sort of some of the rhetoric that came after it Um, saying that there was sort of a mob and that was sort of organised violence and that certainly doesn't match with what I saw on the ground. Obviously, after I've seen a couple of videos come out, one particularly disturbing one in which it looks like an elderly woman was struck in the face. But for me, at least what I saw on the ground, that certainly wasn't representative of, of the protest at large. Why do you think there is such a gulf between how you perceive things in the thick of the action and what it's how it's being portrayed? A large amount of that is coming from overseas news outlets and perhaps this type of thing is a bit more toxic in the UK and the media over there are quite, I guess, like one-sided in some regards. There's also lots of misinformation that I've seen on Twitter. Like there was one photo going around of a phone to Posey Parker's neck, which some people were saying was a knife. And I've seen a few other things on Twitter which turned out not to be true. You know, either side might be pushing one narrative and you don't really know what's true and what's not true. And, like, all we can speak about is what we personally witnessed. And I remember going to the Parliament protest and we've, we see protests like this a lot. I don't think this was, like, this 2,000-person mob that some outlets, especially in the UK, have described it as. It just shows the value of having reporters on the ground, I think, to something like that. And when you see the videos afterwards, other people's coverage, you you agonise over, oh, did we get this right? You know, were we fair about it? But I think when you're on the ground and you're just reporting it straight and it's what you see, that's there's probably the greatest value in that. And I think we stand by and I still feel a, a reporting on the day was, was accurate and fair. Is it also a lesson in some ways of how reporting and straight reporting can be undermined now by people that are quite highly ideological and have a narrative to push on an event. I think it is hard because especially if you're in certain bubbles online you might just be getting one side of the narrative directed towards you and you you might not be getting a fuller picture if you're not getting your news from reputable sources. I met someone yesterday who was there and they were like it's so weird I had such a relaxed experience and then I saw all these videos afterwards and there was like a bit of like pushing and shoving and like everyone saying that it was violent but that doesn't reflect my experience and like Isaac said I think it just shows the value of having well-resourced newsrooms with journalists on the ground to actually report what they see instead of relying on snapshots of small, a very small part of a much larger event. Has it been frustrating? What has it been like seeing a gap grow between the, the, the mainstream narrative on what took place and what you actually saw on the ground? Uh, uh, it's been quite surreal, actually, yeah. um, watching it grow. Uh, I guess that whole 
whole tense moment of that protest lasted only about 10 or 15 minutes. And as each day goes on, it seems like, especially once it went international, that it got sort of took on a life of its own and got further and further removed from what that protest was like. As days went on, I went back and looked at all the photographs that I took, all the notes that I took and emails that I sent and words that I filed. I'd still go back to that strong feeling I had at the time that it was a rowdy protest, but not not a violent one. Certainly when you see those videos come out, uh, especially of an elderly person getting hit, you think, did I get this right? Again, I don't think that characterised the protest. I think there were some nasty incidents on the margins, but overwhelmingly that was not what the protest was like. Katie and Isaac, uh, while we have you here at Media Watch, uh, Today FM went off air abruptly. It looks like a lot of people are losing their jobs. What's your reaction to that? Immediately I just felt really sad. And they've done some really good work over the last year, and so it's kind of sad that after only just a year um, they're being taken off. I think it'll be sad for everyone in the media industry, like seeing Today FM close its doors. 